It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Before we dive into the Daily Thunder for today, I just wanted to remind you that we have a late fall, week-long discipleship training beginning on November 7th. This week-long training is a great opportunity to dive deeper into God's Word and be discipled in the foundations of the Christian life. If you've ever wanted to know how to practically live out the Christian life, well, this week-long training with an online extension is a great opportunity to press into Jesus Christ and to build your life around Him. For more information about that fall week-long program, please visit ellerslie.com forward slash daily. Now, in today's Daily Thunder, I am so excited because our special guest, Phil Apartment, is talking about seeking the face of the Lord. It is a powerful message about the necessity of going after Jesus. Okay, well, uh, we're going to be talking this morning about one of the, the most sort of, one of the more foundational aspects of the character of who God is, and, and I'm not going to put a uh, keynote up on a screen this morning, so get out your Bibles, hopefully you have them with you. I'm going to make you work a little bit uh, this morning, that way you don't get too lazy while you're here at Ellerslie. Uh, but uh, we're going to be talking about this idea that God desires to be known as one of the foundational attributes uh, or characteristics, you could say, uh, of who God is. So the, the title of this this morning is Seek my face. And that comes from a Psalm 27. Uh, he says, seek my face. And, and we're going to get into that a little bit later on this morning. But isn't it just an interesting thing that when you think about that statement, it is God saying, seek my face. Now, now oftentimes we sort of glance over this idea of seek my face or, or this idea of a face. But the idea in, in the oriental cultures or, or in the Hebrew culture of that time is the face is the relationship dimension of a person. Does that make sense? So when you're talking to somebody, you don't talk to their feet, hopefully, unless you're really poor manners. You talk to their face, right? And that's the way that you get to know somebody. It's, it's through the face. That's how we engage with people, and that's how we get to know somebody. It's through the face. It's the communication. It's the relationship dimension. So when God is saying, seek my face, the whole idea of that is, is seek to know me. Seek relationship with me. Pursue relationship with me. But you recognize that this is God saying, seek my face. That man did not invent the idea of knowing God. And you recognize how critical that is when you come to God. That we don't come to him thinking that this is my idea or just my desire to know him. But even if you have that desire, you recognize it's because he desired you. It's because he desired to be known. It's because of his desire to have relationship with us. Which... He didn't have to be that way, and yet praise God that he is, that he desires relationship with us. A.W. Tozer said that the most important thing about a man is what he believes about God. And as we study the word of God, we begin to understand what the nature of God and what the character of God is, and that totally transforms everything in our life, right? 
how you view God is going to totally transform your marriage. It's going to totally transform your thought life. It's going to totally transform your, your work life or your family relationships or your community relationships. It's going to transform how you think about death and how you think about birth and how you think about sickness and how you think about wellness and how you think about money and how you think about poverty, right? All of these things totally transforms everything, how we view God. And so it's, it's really important that we understand God as the word of God reveals him to be and not just as we think him to be. That, that we transform our minds and we conform our minds to the word of God about who he says that he is. Now I want to talk just a minute about the idea of the nature of God and the idea of the character of God. Oftentimes we use those terms interchangeably, but they have a little bit of a distinct meaning. So the nature of a let me describe it this way. The nature of a thing or of anything is such that without that thing, it wouldn't be what it is. Okay? Let me give you a description. The very nature of a bowl is that from somewhere in the middle of that bowl to the edge of that bowl, it has an upward rise. You guys following me? Right? In other words, if it, if it, if it doesn't go up at all, it's just like this, it's not a bowl anymore. In other words, without that nature to it, it's not really a bowl anymore. It's just not a bowl. It can't be a bowl if it doesn't have any upward rise. We call that a plate or a frisbee or whatever you want to call it. Right? I guess an upside-down frisbee is a little bit like a bowl. But, but right? in other words, it has this upward rise, and that, that makes it... We recognize the nature of God is such that it's forever. That it is who he is. And, and the nature of our God is that he is unchanging, that he's eternal. That, that 10 trillion years... Before today, his nature was no different than it is today. Ten trillion years before creation. You know, a lot of people, you think about, go, go back and think about, you know, day zero of creation. What was there? And how would you describe it? A lot of people say something like nothingness. No. God was there. Everything that makes life glorious and beautiful and lovely was there. God. <laughs> and then he breathed forth creation, Right? And he saw that it was good. So, so God's nature, though, when we get to know God's nature, you recognize that it's unchanging. It's a foundation upon which you can build your life. Let's talk about what his character is. Character is, it's, it's not reputation, right? In other words, a man's character might be godly and his reputation could be marred and, and uh, abused and so on, and that doesn't matter. But the character is the behavior of a man. It, it's, it's the summation of a man's actions, his thoughts, his deeds. It's it's. It's who that man is, but it's more in relation to what he does. You recognize that nature is what produces character. That's why, because we have a bad nature when we're born in Adam, the, the character that's produced is junk, right? So, so you see this, for example, all, all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Exodus chapter 6, for example, God is talking about that he is revealing himself as Jehovah for the first time in Exodus chapter basically 3 through 6. And he says this, he says, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt with a strong hand, and then you will know that I am the Lord. So we see the, the character of what he does, and, and, and the work that he does, and his, his thoughts revealed, and his works revealed, and that shows us what his nature is like. So you want to understand the nature of God, we'll, we'll look at Jesus, and, and go to the cross, and you're going to see what he's like. And you recognize that, that God did not change his nature when Jesus came into the earth. The, the, the same God who created the heaven and the earth is the same one who revealed himself 
on this earth as Jesus and is the same one that dwells in us as the Holy Spirit. It's one God, right? It's, it's, it's not changing, but it's one God. So that, that helps you maybe think a little bit about the nature and character of God. But if you go to Exodus chapter 32, you don't have to turn there because I'm just going to read one verse and you're familiar with this verse, I'm sure. It says this. So speaking of Aaron, received all the gold from the, the people of Israel, and they fashioned it with a graving tool, and after he had, had it made into a molten calf, they said, these are your gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now, isn't this interesting? Literally, they've just seen the Lord deliver them through the Red Sea. I mean, they've just seen all of these amazing works. They've just watched the ten plagues. They've just, I mean, they, they were going to stone Moses, right? And then Moses believes God, and he trusts God, and, and the Red Sea parts, they go through, the Egyptians are crumbled, and, and so on and so on and so on. And then just a little bit later, all of a sudden they've built this little calf, and they're saying, this is the one who brought you up out of Egypt. This shows us how prone we are as, as, as man to, to make a God in our own image. In other words, to fashion our own gods, to, to make our own picture of God. And in, in, in America, you know, we're probably not creating physical idols in terms of a little statue. I spent a lot of time in India, and, and there, obviously, physical idolatry is a big problem, right? Where, where it is a statue, and, and, but here's not so much that. But how often do we think about God after our own image? L let me give you an example. Uh, you, you hear from people that, that, how do I say this? have an, object, an objection to hell, meaning they, they don't believe in hell. You'll often hear something like this. Well, I just don't think God could do that. I just don't think God could send somebody to hell. You see, rather than saying, well, that's what the Bible says, and, and it's what the word of God reveals very clearly, and, and so we're going to stand upon what the word of God says, what are they doing? Well, they're fashioning God after their own image. They're assuming that God is like them. And, and, and they're assuming that, that God is like man, and as a result... They're making their own God. And maybe that's their own version of God's love, or maybe that's their own version of God's justice, or, or whatever. But we are so prone to begin to make our own version of God that's fashioned after our own image, as opposed to recognizing that we're created to be fashioned after his image. And so it's so important that we go to the word of God and we say, Lord, what is your nature? And that we, we understand it and we build upon it because it forms a foundation for the Christian life. In Matthew 16, it says this, from, this is starting in verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things to be elders of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again on the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Bad idea, Peter. <laughs> Saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and he said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You see, Peter had an appetite for the things of man as opposed to the things of God. And, and when we build God after man's image, this is what happens, isn't it? But, but what was Peter doing? Well, Peter was assuming that Jesus is like us. Peter was assuming that Jesus would be afraid to go to the cross. And that, that no, no, be afar from you. You don't have to do that, Jesus. Let's go an alternative route here. Peter was viewing God as being like him. And if you view God as being like you, 
you recognize you'll have no confidence in life, right? You'll have no faith in life because, well, God might be flaky just like me, right? And yet God needs to transform our minds by his word to view him as he actually is. You know, oftentimes with something like the Trinity, right, we can do the same thing. Where, where it's, wow, how does this work? Three persons, one God. How? And yet to recognize that we don't fashion our God after our own image. We don't look at mankind to try and understand God, but we look to his word. We say, okay, we may not understand that. You recognize if you could fully comprehend who God was, it wouldn't be that big of a God. In fact, how could you understand as a, as a created being fully comprehending all that he is, right? And so it's so important that we bend our minds, that we humble ourselves and we say, Lord, I may not understand it, but I'm not going to try and fashion a God that, that is after my own image. I'm not going to try and fashion a God that just makes sense to, to my mind or my emotions. But I want to come to your word, and I want to understand who you actually are in reality. And I want to bend myself to that. And I, and I, want, to, and I want to learn that, and I want to view you as you are. Now, in Hebrews 11:6, we're going to spend some time in this passage this week. But it says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So he says, if you're going to come to God, right, you can't please him without faith. And if you're going to come to him in faith, you must have two things. First thing is, you must believe that he is. Now this is the idea of his, of his unchanged, his eternalness. A lot, you could ask the question, he is what? And it's, it's not quite that, it's just he is. It's like the I am, right? Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. And, and that's what it's talking about here. You must believe that he is, meaning the unchanging, eternal, infallible God, right? The one that Hebrews talks about the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Meaning his nature is such that he's inclined towards those who would seek him. He, he is desiring for those, but, but not only is he inclined towards those, but he will always do the same thing. He cannot lie, as the scripture says. That our God is, and that our God cannot lie. And we'll get into that a little bit later this week. But what a, a foundation to build upon to recognize that our God is unchanging. He's not based upon circumstances. It's not based upon how you feel about it. He is absolutely unchanging. Which means that when you get to know who he is, you can build upon that for the rest of your life. And, and so if you get to know, wow, his name is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees, the Lord who makes provision, you can build upon that reality. And, and wow, he is the Lord who, who is the, the Lord of hosts. You, what should man be afraid of? The, the earth could be thrown, or the, the mountains could be thrown in the midst of the sea and the earth could tremble, and yet we will not be afraid. Why? Because we know who he is. And we can build our lives on that foundation. So I want to challenge you. Are you desiring a God after your own image? Or putting God in a box? Or, or desiring God to look a certain way or to be a certain way? Or, or are you willing to go humbly before the word of God and say, God, show me who you actually are. And, and, and a desire to actually see him as he is and to know him. Would you be willing to humble yourself and, and, and allow the word of God to refine and correct and, and that we wouldn't form our, our own graven image of who God is, but that we would come to him as he truly is. Now, back to this idea of seek my face. God 
revealed himself. And I'm going to walk for a little bit of the history of God's revelation of himself. But you recognize that this was God's idea. That, that man wasn't saying, God, will you reveal yourself? That God initiated the revelation of himself. And, and you see this all the way back, right? You, you have, of course, man knew him and had a perfect relationship with God. And then man is cut off because of sin, driven out of a garden. And we see the, the collapse that, that ensues out of Adam and his sin. And then God reveals himself to Noah and, and, and then Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that God is, is initiating this whole relationship. He's initiating this whole plan of salvation because he desires to be known. He desires a, a relationship with his people. And so you go back to the Old Testament and you see this revelation of God, but the revelation is in a mystery. Why is it in a mystery? Because of sin. So, so for example, go back to uh, Mount Sinai, for example, and there was a veil over their face. They had to see it in a mystery because of sin was separating man from God because of God's holiness, lest we be consumed. And so God was revealed to them, but it was sort of this, you could say, outside God, if you want to say it that way. In other words, you have, for example, the tabernacle. And yes, God's over there in the tabernacle, but, but we've got the holy of holies and it's separated off over there and, and it's this mystery. Yeah, he's here with us, but it's, it's this, he's revealed a mystery. You see the same thing with Moses, right? That, that Moses says, Lord, I, I want to see you. And, and God says, okay, I'm going to pass by you. And remember, he covers him up, and then he walks past him. And, and it, it's like Moses sees, I, I think it's like his, his uh, back parts is what it says. It, it's this mystery. It's not the fullness. It's revealed in the mystery. There's a veil between the holy of holies and the holy place. And that veil is massive. Because of sin. And you get to the prophets, and, and, and Peter says this about the prophets in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace which should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. And so the prophets, they were searching diligently, they were inquiring into these things, and yet it was revealed to them that it was not for themselves that these things were being revealed. They were seeing it in part, they were seeing it in a mystery, but it was for us that we would see these things in the fullness through the gospel. Just a couple of examples from the prophets. Jeremiah 31 says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. But he's going to go from just this outside God with the law and the temple and the, these, these ceremonies to being a God where we don't have to say one to our, each other, know the Lord. 
for they all know him, the least of the greatest. And he will be our God, and we shall be his people. Zechariah 2 says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, says the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. Now you see a little bit about the Gentiles coming in, right? This isn't just Israel, but many nations coming in in that day and being his people. He says, I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto thee. So you have the Old Testament, he's revealed in a mystery, and this mystery is all summed up in Jesus. It's all solved in Jesus. He is the revelation of God that the invisible God, who no man at any time has seen, is now revealed through him. That he's made known through Christ. That he unlocks this mystery. Right? It's like Jesus, he says to the, the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are they that testify of me. The, the, the whole mystery that they couldn't figure out was unlocked in Jesus. Hebrews 1 says, God, who at sundry times, meaning various times, and in diverse manners, spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. He revealed himself in a mystery, and then in these last days he has revealed himself through the Son. He has made himself known to us. He has spoken to us. You recognize what a grand privilege this is. He didn't have to speak to us. He didn't have to reveal himself to us. And yet his very nature is such that he desires to be known. Did you know that if you're going to please God, you have to believe that about him? You do. You actually have to believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And of course, what is the great reward? It's him. It's not material things. It's not just heaven one day. It's him. He is the great reward. And so it is essential to our faith that if we're going to come to God, we need to believe that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And that he wants this relationship with us. That he desires that you would know him intimately. That he is pursuing this. That he has revealed himself in times past by the prophets and, and, and has spoken in, in various ways and various manners. But in these last days, he has revealed himself fully, you, you could say, through his son, the one in whom all the fullness dwells. He says, In these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He, he has spoken to us by his son. He has revealed himself. But you recognize it doesn't even just stop there. That, that, that he has revealed himself through the Lord Jesus Christ, but he hasn't just revealed, oh, here's Jesus walking around on earth and we can all look at him and go, whoa, this is the, the, the express image of his person. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but Jesus says, it's better for you that I depart. Because if I don't depart, I, I can't send the helper to you. You know, I, I, this was some years ago. This probably was 15 years ago. There was this newsletter that went around to a bunch of different churches. They're actually still working. I Googled this a little while back. And they're still working on this today. It's absolutely disgusting. Uh, but there was a newsletter that went out to all these churches. And it said something like this. It said, hey, you could have Jesus in your church. We're working on a cloning program. 
And we found, I guess, a shroud or something like that. And we found DNA on it. And so we're, we're working on cloning Jesus. And, and if you donate today, then, then we want to have him in your church. It's just awful. And they're still trying, okay? Uh, but, but you recognize, I think some of us still have a fragment of that thinking. Maybe not cloning. That is sort of bizarre, right? But, but don't we have a little bit of fragment just like the disciples? Lord, don't go from us. He says, no, it's actually better for you. Do we believe that? That, that we have a little bit of fragment of this thinking of, well, yeah, I mean, it would be better if he was just here and he could show, show us how to do this. He could be the pastor on Sundays. And yet that's not true. Because what he has revealed is not only is he, it was he here as an example, but he was here as an example so that he couldn't teach us how we could then live and filled by his spirit. As those who, who have his very life and know him in this, this relationship with him filling us with himself, he has made a way for us to enter the Holy of Holies, but also a way for the Holy of Holies to enter us, as our, or for us to become that Holy of Holies. John 17 says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That is the sum and summation of life eternal, that we might know him. And then it says in 1 John 5, it says, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. He says, he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. And so eternal life is not some ethereal idea. Eternal life is knowing him. Eternal life is, is, is this relationship with him. And he has given this understanding of him that we might know him as the one true God, and it, this is eternal life. He has revealed himself, but not only has he revealed himself as an external God, as he did in the Old Testament in a mystery, but he has made himself clearly known for the Lord Jesus. But not only that, but he has made a way for us to enter into the very holy of holies that we might actually know him. And you recognize this isn't just a head knowledge. This isn't just knowing about him. That I don't just study the word to say, oh, I, I want to know a little bit more about you or, or understand a little bit more of this or that. Knowing about is, is a good place to start, obviously. But this is a, a relationship knowledge. That this is a, a relationship that he's desiring with us. And if I could challenge, you know, I don't know as you're coming in here what the different thoughts are. You know, if I could ask you, what do you want to get out of this week or these next 100 days or these next five weeks? Or... And, and maybe for some of you, you go, ah, boy, I really would love to have victory over sin. Can I challenge you? Get to know God. Get to know God, and, and yes, you'll have victory over sin. Because he is the one who is the Lord who is our banner, which means he is the Lord who is our victory, right? You guys remember the star-spangled banner? And, and, and it says... Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so gladly we hailed by twilight's last gleaming? Wait, wait, the whole idea is, is the banner still up? Well, if the Lord himself is your banner, you know what that means? Victory. We have victory in him. Get to know him. 
In other words, don't just pursue victory. Yeah, that's great. But pursue him. You know, I remember this one time in my life where I was really desiring direction for some different things in forward movement in my life. And, and I was seeking the Lord and I was praying. And all of a sudden, it was like the Lord stopped me and, and, and said, Philip, do you just want to know what you want me to do with your life? Or do you want to know me? So maybe you're here and you're going, Lord, I don't know what the next steps look like. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with, with this next area, season of my life or this area of my life. Or, and that's great to ask him that. But that's not our main aim. Seek to know him. Seek him. Go after him. You want humility? <laughs> he is the God of humility. Get to know him. You need peace? Get to know him. You know, peace doesn't just come from reading Bible passages about peace. Peace comes from knowing the one who is the God of peace. Right? It says, the God of peace shall shortly bruise Satan underneath your feet. <laughs> you want peace in this world? Get to know the God of peace. Right? You want joy? We'll get to know the God who, who, who is our joy. But it says, in his presence is the fullness of joy. The fullness of joy is not just something that he gives to us. Seek him. Know him. Pursue him. Daniel 11 says, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. You know, I think maybe it's as men, uh, but, but I think for all of us as humans, we desire significance, don't we? Right? There's, a, there's a hunger for significance. Uh, it's what uh, Bonhoeffer used to call the worship of success. We, we want to be strong. We wanna, who, if you were to say, how many of you want to do exploits? Can you imagine? You're like, no, I'd prefer not to do exploits. Uh, you know, I'd rather just to live a boring life, insignificant, nobody. Uh, right? We all want to be strong and do exploits. And yet you recognize that's not the emphasis in that passage. The whole emphasis is those who know their God. Yeah, that's going to be what happens in their life. Don't pursue doing exploits. Get to know your God. And you will be strong and do exploits. And you will be strengthened in the Lord. And so what is our response to this? Well, I want to give you two responses. The first one is believe the record. It's sort of like in, in 1 John chapter 4 that, that John says this. He says, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. Isn't that interesting? He separates that out. Because it's one thing to know, yeah, God desires to know me. But, but then to know it and to believe it. In other words, act upon it. And if, and if you recognize that the king of kings is desiring relationship with you and you believe that, what's going to be the natural result? You're going to seek his face, right? You're going to go after him. You're going to pursue him diligently, right? Like he says, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Know and believe the record. You know now because I told you, so that excuse is gone. Believe it. Believe the record. Stand upon who God is. And then what's the result of that? It's response number two. Draw near. Hebrews 10 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, that means the holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us, through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near with boldness through this new and living way. You know, if you desire to know God, 
that's a desire that he initiated. He has revealed himself, and he's initiated that desire. In other words, you even desire to know God because he's doing a work in your life. And, and you know what a joy there is in that? To recognize, whoa, this isn't just something where it, it, God's not facetious. In other words, he's not going, hey, I want you to know me, but, but I'm going to sort of withhold myself over, over here and just sort of see how you do. That's not God, right? But God is desiring this relationship. So Psalm 27, I referred to this in the beginning, says, When thou said, seek ye my face. When you said, seek my face. Remember, again, this is seek to know me. Seek relationship with me. When you said, seek ye my face. Here's what the psalmist says. My heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. So he has declared it. He's revealed himself. He has declared, seek relationship with me. Seek my face. Isn't the cross sufficient proof that he desires to know us? Is it not sufficient proof? I mean, think about it. He died to open up the way to eternal life, which is what? Knowing him. How was this new and living way consecrated? By the blood of Jesus. The only way that we could enter into the Holy of Holies was through the blood of Jesus. So he died so that you could be reconciled to God so that we could know him. And here he is hanging on the cross. Can you imagine a greater declaration saying, seek my face. Seek me. I want to know you. I desire a relationship with you. I desire that we would have this relationship that was there in the Garden of Eden, was broken by sin, and now has been restored for Jesus Christ. Seek my face. And the psalmist says, your face, Lord, will I seek. Can you imagine? Jesus is, you know, he's, he's opened up this opportunity for relationship. And let's say with his disciples. He raises again from the dead, and he shows up to his disciples, and they're like, oh, hey, Jesus, you're back. Nice to see you. Let me give you a hug. I'm really busy today. I'll see you tomorrow. And yet, how many of us treat it that way? Because I think for many of us, we know, yeah, God desires relationship with me. But we haven't believed it. And, and, and we haven't drawn near because we haven't believed it. So I want to challenge you this morning. He said, seek my face. He's made the declaration. He, he died to know us. He, he died to reconcile us to himself. This is eternal life that we might know him. Seek his face. Let's pray here and, and prepare ourselves. Lene, if you want to come on up, we're going to uh, spend some time in worship. And let's set our hearts to seek God. Lord Jesus, uh, we, we want to say thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you desire this with, this with us. That, that you have sought after us. That you have pursued us. That you initiated this relationship as a bridegroom. And Lord, as you have so plainly declared, seek my face. We respond as your people and we say, your face, Lord, will we seek. We desire to know you. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just seek it half-heartedly, but like it says, that we would believe that you are and that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you and that we would diligently seek you, that we would pursue relationship with you. Lord, what a joy. Thank you for this privilege of knowing you. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. 
At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.